lengthy six-week or so hiatus, I have the pleasure of welcoming up Pastor Mike. He's back with us this morning. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. All right, you're making my heart race a little too fast. <laughs> Oh, it's nice to be back. I, uh, I'm, I really, really enjoyed, and I'm so thankful for our live stream. Um, I was able to, to participate at home, and, but it is nothing like being here. I mean, I love the live stream. I think it's one of our, our ministries, but there's just something of being in the presence of the Lord that's just, in this way, that's just untouchable. I mean, it's just amazing. Some of you know the story. I'll tell it. Uh, told it a couple times, but you know when I was I was um, in surgery for for quite a while, and and it uh, lasted into the night. So when that happens, they they give you uh, enough anesthesia so you sleep all through the all through the night, and they wait for you to wake up before they take the the tubes out and stuff. And so I was uh, <laughs> I was having a vivid experience. Uh, under anesthesia, I was I was experiencing heaven, and um, and Gabe was leading worship in heaven, <laughs> and uh, it's so funny because when I woke up, I go, I'm gonna remember the song so I can tell Gabe I've forgotten the song, uh, but uh, it was it was a powerful powerful experience, and I was it was so real I kept going, am I dead? <laughs> Because it was, it was very heavenly. I mean, it was the sense of the Lord. Uh, and then I heard a voice say, it's time to go back. And uh, kind of a door appeared, and I, walk, I walked through the door. And as I walked through the door, immediately I, they started pulling the tubes out, and I was, I was conscious and stuff. But, uh, but I had such peace. Even as uh, all of these things were happening, as I was preparing for surgery, I had such peace. A big part of that was I could feel, I could, I literally could feel the prayers that you were praying. And uh, as many of you know, I, I, I progressed pretty quickly through the different stages. And uh, I just went to my surgeon and they said I'm doing very well. So uh, that my, you know, my, uh, everything's healing. I actually feel about 10, 15 years younger. Uh, I'm still, re- <laughs> I don't look younger, but... Uh, I feel it, but my, uh, you know, the surgery, I'm still recovering from the surgery part, but the way my heart is pumping and the way I feel breathing and all of that kind of stuff is just, it's such a blessing, and, and I feel like the Lord has more years for me, so, uh, so it's really, 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 I'm really thankful for all of your prayers and your concern, and for all those who, who did such a great job in my absence, it was, it was awesome to see, yeah. So as I came back, I, I, I wanted to do uh, a series with you, and we're calling it God Is. And uh, the thing we were thinking about, that I was thinking, I had a lot of time to think, uh, but the, the time I was thinking 
Uh, I realize that, that some of you are new in this journey and some of you have been at this journey for a long time. But how you finish that sentence, God is, has everything to do to how you live your life. How you react to life, how you respond to life, how lo- you make choices in, in your life. If, if, and, and what's interesting is that some people can say the sentence but don't believe what they're saying. And so the idea over the course of our time together is not just to say the sentence together, but also to begin to feel a fire inside of us that nothing can put out. Um, when Jesus was walking on the road with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they didn't even recognize Jesus. And he talked with them, he opened the scriptures up to them, and then he left them. And when he left them, they said this, did our hearts not burn when he explained the scriptures to us? And that's my heart for this, is that as you begin to solidify and you say, this is the truth. This is, this is what I believe. This is what I trust. Then your heart will burn and nothing can take that fire away. So let's look. Uh, what I'd like to do is to start in John's epistle, his first letter. And uh, because there are a lot of God is statements in this letter. So you've got it in your, uh, your worship folder here. It's right on the front. We're going to read it out loud together. It's, uh, this is chapter 1 of 1 John, just four verses together. Let's, we're going to read. Uh, let me just say one more thing about this before you read so that you can, you can get a glimpse of this. John is writing this at the end of his life. He may be about 80 years old at this point. He is not writing this as a young man. He is not writing this as a man in the middle of his life. He's writing this as a man at the end of his life. And if you read carefully as we read together, you will see he is speaking as one who has credibility, experience, who is speaking to younger ones, and he is saying to them in a way, this is what matters. Now, it could be that half of you are like me, and that is that you're stubborn and you only learn when you do it yourself. But at some point, you got to get old enough and mature enough to go, you know, that doesn't really work for me. It might be good for me to listen to someone who went before me. And to begin to align your thinking, to begin to align the way you value things, the way you, you say this matters to me, not just by trial and error and mostly error, but by the fact that someone else has revelation from God. This is John's legacy, that he is saying to you, this is what matters. And if we catch this early, this is like our grandfather talking to us. And if we catch this early and we start to live this out, you will see that you will have less wasted years. And instead, your fruitfulness, your satisfaction will be multiplied. Not to where you get to some stage of your life and go, why did I waste those years? It is so easy, even for Christians, to take detours. And uh, God is faithful. He even uses the detours. But they are avoidable. Let's read this together. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, 
which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. If I, if, to sum up for this week the God is statement, you, there's really two in here. And, and basically it's this. God is the source of real life. John is saying there is no life apart from what he has witnessed in the life of Jesus Christ. But he's also saying something that I think is incredibly powerful, is that he's also saying that God is the source of real joy. And John is actually saying, if you look at verse 4, there is a joy available to you, possible for you, an invitation for every one of us to experience a complete joy. Uh, I don't know about you, but I like that idea. Now, if this life exists that God is the source of, then any life that you are deriving from another source is counterfeit. If the source of complete joy, which whether you know it or not, there's something in you. There is a drive within you that says, I'm not satisfied with just counterfeit joy. I'm not satisfied with temporary joy. There's something in me that was made for something sustainable, that was made for something satisfying, something real. I mean, some of you, maybe you're you're not like me in this, but um, one of the things that I love is to eat. Uh, I and I, and I am I'm a snob of what kind of food I I eat. Uh, you know, but when I love the food, I make very embarrassing noises. But you know, when you hear it, you're like, he likes that food. And as much as I like it, sometimes. When I'm eating, I'm thinking, oh, no, it's soon to be over. And now I'm thinking, when can I do this again? And there's something about external sources of joy that even as you're enjoying them, you know they are soon to end. You know that they are easily even taken away. I... I have such joy and I have such happiness, to tell you the truth, in my marriage, in my relationship with my wife. And, and I could not have gone through these six weeks without her. She just, she's been incredible. But in the same way that she brings me joy, nobody makes me angrier. And... Uh, And all we have to do is get in a car for that to happen. For a few weeks, I couldn't 
For a few weeks, I couldn't drive, and she was driving. She does not like instructions. I grew up, I grew up in the South, so a gentleman always opens the door for a lady. But with my injury, I can't open the door. Okay? But here's what happens when we go to a restaurant. I'm usually 50 yards ahead of her, but I can't open the door. So I'm at the door waiting for her to open it. <laughs> She's still getting her purse out of the car. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that most of the love songs are worship songs? Elevating a spouse, a girlfriend, a boyfriend to the level of God. So that the source is going to be that person of your joy. The source of your life is going to be that person. Guess what? They're going to disappoint you. You can have the best wife or husband, the best children or parents, and they will still disappoint you. Because if the source of your life or the source of your joy is external, it will always bring about a lack of satisfaction and unfulfillment. What John is talking about is even hard for the commentators to fathom in these verses because he's, he's saying there exists a satisfaction, a fulfillment that is complete, a joy that is total. Now, the way that I think the Bible describes it is this. It's almost a subterranean river of joy. When I was, when I was uh, with Lisa a few years ago, we were in the Middle East, and we were doing a conference in Jordan. And we were in the city of Amman. And the whole Bible, I find the Bible comes alive when you go to the Middle East. Because, you know, nowhere is like New York or Pennsylvania there. They're, they're not these lush you know, forest and all these green grasses. There's rocks and sand. And sometimes you don't even see a river anywhere. You don't see lakes. You, don't see, you just see more sand, more sun. You see goats that look like sheep and sheep that look like goats because they're so skinny. <laughs> because you wonder how they even find enough sustenance to keep alive. Olive trees are planted in sand and rock. And just come out of nowhere. You're driving along and suddenly you see an orchard of olive trees. But there's no grass. There's no water. There's nothing except sand and rock. When I was in Amman, it's a big, very large, modern city. But you, could, you saw nowhere where there was any lakes or water or anything. I would go out of the hotel and go, I'm thirsty just thinking about this place. Because it's like, where am I going to get something to drink today? So I asked them, I said, what do you guys do for water? I don't see water anywhere. They said, well, out in the middle of the desert, hundreds of miles from Amman, they found an aquifer. They found an underground lake. They found an underground water source. They take pipes, and they pipe the water from that source all the way into the city. You don't see it. But there's a continuous supply of water, that even though you don't see it, and even though it doesn't seem like it's near to you, it's always there. It's always there. A continuous supply in the desert. 
Basically, what John is saying is that as a believer, your supply is not apparent. It's not superficial. It's not circumstantial. You have a supply, a subterranean supply of joy. You have a subterranean supply of life. You have a river that flows. Now, when I was, um, I mean, I can't help but sort of uh, connect these to the things that I went through as I went through the, the heart surgery and as I came home from the surgery. When I was, when I was first home from the surgery, and I knew this would be, I knew, I knew this would be difficult. Others had explained it to me. When I got home, immediately I began to feel depressed. I began to feel a depression like I hadn't felt in probably 20 years. And the reason of the depression was, was external in many ways. It was the fact for the first time in my life, I felt frail. Um, I, 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 I was kind of sitting or standing like this, protecting my scar. I was protecting this place. It's funny, I, was, I went to a conference last week and some people hit me right in there and I was like, thank you for that. Uh, you know, but I would sit like this. I would be kind of like this because I didn't want to move. Because the other thing is the, the, the way they sewed me back together, it pops and clicks. So the first couple of days, all I heard was clicking and popping. And, <clears throat> and the biggest thing for me was the pain was intense. And it didn't matter if I was sitting down, I couldn't lay down. If I was standing up, I was in constant pain. So those two things, feeling really weak and frail and not, not knowing if I would ever feel strong again, and then feeling the pain and then hearing the clicking, it just it, it created in me just a sense of complete uh, weakness. And I began to weep. And uh, at times I would weep uncontrollably because of how overwhelming all of this was, and especially at night. And I would, I would just begin to cry. I would just go, I don't know if I'm ever going to be better again. I don't know if I'll ever get strong again. And one of the things that, that I say that to you is because what I have learned is if you're not truthful about your circumstances, you never get in touch with the river. See, if you tell yourself lies about your circumstances, God's truth cannot break through those lies. If you lie when you're in pain and say you're not in pain, you're just lying. If you lie when you're depressed, then you're just you're hiding. You're not in touch with reality. God is near to the brokenhearted, not to the fake-hearted. You know, and so what happens with a lot of Christians is they think they should fake it till they make it. Instead of realizing the pain is real, your reaction to the pain is real, your feelings and, and all of that is real. It's God who wants to enter into the reality because God is always real. And what he provides is real. And what happened to me was... One, I have this amazing wife who came alongside of me and just gave me comfort and said, people said you would go through this. And that was helpful. It was incredibly helpful. But here's 
what sustained me. Because the pain didn't go away because she said, you'll be all right. What sustained me is that underneath, it started as a blip. Underneath, I started to feel the source. And the source, here's what the source was saying. Don't think about tomorrow. Just get through today. Here's what happened. This may not happen to all of you, but here's what happens when you begin to not only have pain today, you start thinking about how much pain you're going to have tomorrow. And then you start thinking how you're going to still have the pain a month from now. So now you're not dealing with the pain of today. You're dealing with pain that hasn't even happened yet. And then it seems like nothing is bigger than the pain that you're imagining. And the brain is a trickster. The brain can even manufacture pain so that you will go for pain relief. And it might come from another source. It might actually be the Satan himself's assignment against you to addict you or any of these other things. But what I started to recognize is the pain didn't go away, but his presence started eclipsing the pain. Hope started eclipsing the pain. I didn't, I still cried when it hurt. I still went to Lisa when I couldn't take it. And sometimes I just had to be by myself and in prayer just to go through it. But by the third day, I was strong again. Sounds kind of like the resurrection a little bit, you know. (laughs) By the third day, it was all different. The river was bigger than the pain. Am I making sense to you with this? See, if, if it's not a subterranean river that's a source of your life, then the pain is all there is. And then you're given like a justification to do whatever you can to stop the pain, which then destroys you because you have no other source but your circumstances. You have no other source but what your brain is telling you. But if you have a river, if you have a source, that source in the midst of the pain, now, that source in the midst of the pain begins to say, you're stronger than this. You have a hope for the future. You don't have to, as a matter of fact, Jesus said it this way, take no thought about tomorrow. Look at the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And he began to realize as a believer, you have a source of life. You have a source of joy that is not circumstantially dictated. Now, if I can kind of put it this way, I, I, I'm just going to hit a few of these things from, from that, those four verses for you. Number one, I just want to, I want you to realize in verse 4 that the way John is writing here and the way that he is speaking is he starts out talking about himself and the apostles. And, and he's saying to you and to me that there's a trustworthy witness to the reality of Jesus. And that Jesus is more than a prophet. He's more than a teacher. He's more than a philosopher or moral. He's saying, we saw the life of God. Then he moves from the apostles in him, 
And he begins to embrace you and me. And he begins to include us in the circle. And as he includes us in this circle, and you begin to believe the witness and the message of the apostles, you become a partaker of the apostolic reality. You start to be a part of something really, really wonderful. Let me, this is kind of mystical in a way, but let me, let me, let me tell you what I think he's saying. See, long before you ever existed, life existed. Long before the earth ever existed, life existed. And the life existed in the union and the communion between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Out of that union and out of that communion, biological life came forth. But even as God created the biology, He was also imparting spirit. And He actually made you and me with an impartation of His Spirit. When we sinned against Him, Something of that was marred and lost. So instead of being dependent on God and in union with the life of God, we said, I'll have my life my own way. I'll do it myself. And we became independent from God. But as you come to Christ, you're saying, maybe not out loud, but you're saying, independence doesn't work for me. I can't have life by myself. And all these other numbskulls can't help me either. It just doesn't work. At some point, you see, when you come to Christ, you don't just come to Christ because it's a good thing. It's because you realize the rest of it's a bad thing. It doesn't work for me. I'm not just a Christian because I love Jesus. I'm a Christian because the world doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's not life. It'll addict me. It'll bind me. It'll enable me, but it won't empower me. And even the best of things in this world are temporary highs that lead often to very long-lasting lows. And so we find John saying, here's life that has existed between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and you're invited into the circle. You see, I haven't just believed a message. I haven't just started to have a bunch of propositions that I believe. I have entered into relationship that existed before the world existed. I have entered into the love the Father has for the Son, the Son for the Father, the life shared by God. I've entered into that, and now that life is in me. And His joy in the Son, and the Son's joy in the Father, which is expressed by the joy of the Spirit, is ours for the taking. But it's not cheap. You know, it isn't that all of a sudden I say, I've got God, so my job's going to work out perfectly. I've got God, so my kids are going to start obeying me. I've got God, so my wife's going to line up with all of my agenda. You see, what most of us want to do is we still want a foot in independence to do our agenda our way 
and say, now I've got God to make it happen. But what John is saying is the completeness of joy is when both foot, both feet are in your dependent circle. Where you don't just have a, a toe in the, in, in the union between the Father and the Son, but now you have fellowship with both of them. Well, one of the things that it's saying here, and I won't spend a lot of time on this. Are you, are you tracking with me so far? One of the things that John is saying here that's so interesting and anti-Western. See, most of us think, if I can just get alone and be with myself and find myself and all of that, then I'd be happy and then I'd be a worthy member of the group. Idiots. Every time you go off to find yourself, you find something new and different. Probably not yourself. Just another selfish version of yourself. Because as soon as you come back, you fall back into the roles that you played of spouse, child, whatever it is. Think about this. Most of you, when you go back to your family of origin for Christmas or whatever it is, whatever you were all those years, you become again. And you're just as mad about it now as you were then. Unless you're the golden boy or something. Why is that? Because there are parts of you that only emerge in community. I'll give you an example of this. If you say you have two friends, you love both of those friends, and you decide, but I like this one better than the other one. Let me just kind of get that friend out of the way so I can have all my time with this friend. Although when the two of you are alone, you're like, you're a little more boring than I thought. And you're thinking, well, I like this guy a whole lot better than that guy. But when we're alone, I don't like this guy all that much. Or, or I can't get him to talk or I can't get him to express himself. Well, be, here's the reason. Is there something about the other friend that brings something out in your friend that is not brought out when you're there? There's something about when we are together, when we're in different circumstances, when we're in different roles, there's something about us that brings out facets that are true of us but are not manifest in certain places. Are you, are you following me in this? So here's what John is saying. He says that our joy may be complete. He doesn't say your singular joy. He says our joy complete. There is some sense that every time you're disconnecting, you're disconnecting from the source of the joy. There's times when you have decided to withdraw, to be by yourself, to be alone, to do all of these things, thinking, okay, I'm going to get joy there, not recognizing that what John is saying is your complete joy is not dependent on you it's dependent on the body. And so many of us, in, in, in the way we look at things, when times get tough or times get hard or relationships get hard, we leave those relationships, we quit, we stop, we say, oh, it'd be so much better if you just get out of here. I actually have pastor friends who have said to me, I just can't wait till this elder dies. I'm not kidding you. Then I can do what I want or what I need to for the church. I'm sitting there going, that's your plan? 
Or one I've heard people say to me before, these people have left the church. Now we can finally be the church we always wanted to be. <laughs> I was like, you're a great leader. They wouldn't follow you. Now you're passively glad they've gone. Instead of saying, what was God saying by having them here? What was God wanting to do in my leadership by having them here? So instead of the roots going deep, the roots stayed on the surface. And the source was people. And the source was circumstances. Instead of the depths of the roots going to where the water really was. I, I'll give you a one more personal one. When I came, uh, Lisa and I married at 21. We were just out of college and we were going into ministry. And I really thought, oh boy, this is going to be a great marriage. She's a Christian. I'm a Christian. I went to Bible college, you know, and I studied Greek and stuff. And I'm ready for marriage, you know. <laughs> Only to find out we fought all the time. And so I remember pre-kind of fullness of the Holy Spirit days in our marriage, I would have a list that I would pray that God would change her. And, you know, change this, God. Change that. Change this. Make her more like this. Make her more like that. Focusing on her faults, thinking, you know, I'm not the problem here. She is. I got filled with the Spirit started realizing I was the one needing to repent. I was the one who was short-sighted. I was the selfish one. I was looking to her to be the source of my happiness. Angry with her because she wouldn't comply. Suddenly when I was filled with joy, and, and the Bible calls it joy unspeakable, you know, and I started realizing the source of my joy was now bring, being brought to my marriage. And as I stopped looking at her to be the source and got to look at her as she was, I started to see, God, you've given me a beautiful, wonderful, very insightful and, and, and help, helpful in so many ways. I resisted her because I wanted her to be the source. Once I had the source, I no longer resisted her, but I gave myself to her. And the joy that I had in the Lord was now brought to the marriage, and the marriage became a joy. But see, whenever you're looking and saying, my job is the source, my relationship, you should make me feel welcome. You should make me feel important. You should give me a sense of significance. You should make me feel safe. You're asking people who are looking for the same thing you are to provide from an empty tank what you're empty on. When I, was in, when I was in Jordan, they were telling me a story about these olive trees in Jerusalem. And they said these olive trees were 1,500 years old and that they had survived all kinds of storms and every kind of, every kind of trial and tribulation. And they said they had the sweetest, most delicious olive oil that comes from that. But they said over 1,500 years, what, the, what those trees have done, they, they like x-rayed the ground. And the roots have gone around rocks. 
They've gone through sand. They've gone through hard, hard ground. They go deep, deep into the ground until they are rooted and grounded in a source of water that never, ever runs dry. And they have lasted, and they are sweet. Yeah, that's what, that's what John is saying. He's saying that, that the trials, even the trying people in your life, and you can run away from them because you're a, there's a freedom in choice where you can run away from a trial. Here's the thing is, when you come back to God, you'll go right back to that place. Because he wants you to have complete joy, not superficial joy. Here's, here's what I, uh, it's kind of like the, the, I would say the war cry from this passage and from 1 John, in a sense, is that you would be willing to become humbly defiant. Now, John, I told you, he's an older man, and he writes not idealistically, but with reality. And he says, he says this at the end of the, of the passage, just like he said at the beginning. He said, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. And then he writes and he says, you live in a world because you know God and because you're of God. You live in a world where the evil one is after you, a world controlled by the evil one. That's what John says in, in John, 1 John 5, 19. So he knows the reality that what's going on in your life there is a real enemy. He's, per, he's a person. He has an agenda against you. Jesus called him the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. This world is against you having complete joy. And there is one who has an agenda. You've been marked with a target by the evil one where he wants to any place that you're calling your life source, he wants to test that. And he wants to try it. Now, here's what I found. Is that there's a ground. There's ground for this joy. There's ground for this life. And, and it, it's kind of a simple thing where John says, if you'll have fellowship with us. In other words, he's saying, will you believe our testimony? Will you hold on objectively and say, Jesus Christ really did die for me? Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. Jesus Christ is ascended on high. He sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is coming back. And every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is the Lord. He says, will you hold on to that in fellowship with us? Will you hold on to that objective reality? And here's where it becomes assurance for you, friends. Every other religious expression in the world... You cannot know for certain that you have life with God until you die. Because it's your life that will be judged. Only in Christianity can you have assurance now, certainty now, because it's not your life, it's His life. Your life does not save you. His life saves you. And if his life is your life, you can have confidence and assurance and you can face anything because you're saying, this is just the beginning. Now I went to, I went to a wake and uh, 
was a dear lady who was a mom of one of the members of the church. And she was a woman who had devoted herself to her religion. She was devoted. She sacrificed. She attended. She did everything they told her to do. And the officiant of the funeral, of the wake, got up and said, This is a dear lady. She was devoted to our religion. I hope something good happens to her in the next life. I wanted to punch him in the nose in Jesus' name. I was so furious. I said, you told her to invest. You told her to sacrifice. You told her to do this and do that. And at the end of her life, you have no assurance having done everything you told her to do. She has little hope and you gave her family no hope that she has an eternal life to look forward to. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is it's not about your life. It's about his life. And if you've come to that place and you said, his life is my life, then you have eternal life. You have a river of joy that flows subterraneanly into your soul. Does this make sense to you? So here, here's the what I'm asking over these weeks together. When Jesus met these two disciples on the road, it was called the road to Emmaus. He walked along with them, explained the scriptures to them. They didn't know who he was. But then when he left them, they go, did our hearts not burn? See, it's not enough to know these truths. It's not enough to just assent to them. They have to begin to burn. For example, I've been, over the course of my time, getting, you know, getting better and stuff, one of, the, one of the truths that's been really meaningful to me is, you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. Now, how many of you, if I say to you, true or false, God is a shield? Okay, you got that one right. Okay, But what if you're being tested right now? Isn't it, in a sense, easy then to say, well, why aren't you shielding me? If you're a shield, why is this happening to me? But see, if you recognize the reality that he is a shield, then even the bad things that are happening to you are a part of his shielding you. In other words, he's shielding you from your pride, and he's making you humble. He's shielding you from your lust and he's making you pure. He's shielding you from your greed and your dysfunction and making you whole. But see, to you, because circumstances may not look too good, you might be saying, that doesn't look like shielding until you trust him. And it begins to burn in you and you say, you know what, even the bad things, even the bad things, he's turning into good things. Now, again, I, I want to go back to this one thing. Do not call bad things good things. That's just a lie. But shielding you means that he is turning what looks like evil or that which is coming for evil, and he is intending it for your good. You begin to trust him. And by submitting to him and to his word, it begins to burn in your hearts. 
Would you stand with me? I want you to do something. I, I want you to test out this phrase, okay? Humble, humbly defiant. Try it with me. Humbly defiant. Okay, here's what I mean by that. I want you to take like you have a staff in your hand. I want you to, this is Vacation Bible School, take your staff. You got a staff in your hand. You can open your eyes, close your eyes, whichever gives you better focus. But see, when you believe something, you put a stake in the ground. When you believe something, you stomp your feet. When you believe something, you, you, uh, you, you, you kind of you, you beat the pulpit sort of thing. I've watched some of you on the cell phone. You, you even use your hands when you're talking on the phone. Okay, so when you really believe something and you're animated about something, you do something about it. I believe these are prophetic postures. Now, what I mean by humbly defiant is this. You're humble in that the life that you have, the joy that you have, the identity that you have is not because you earned it or you deserved it. It's because Jesus says so. In other words, you are humbly not resisting Him But you're submitting and you're saying, I have the life. I have the river. I have the joy. I am a child of God. That is humility, not because you earned it or deserved it, but because he's given it to you. But defiant in this way, I will not be defined by my circumstances. I will not be defined by my past. That's the defiant part. See, Satan wants you to believe that you are as worthy as your pocketbook. You're as worthy as your job title. You're as worthy as, you know, your secrets. He wants you to believe that your behavior defines you. And Jesus says, not your behavior defines you, but my behavior defines you. I'm not righteous in my own righteousness, but I am righteous in the righteousness of Christ. I defy Satan to tell me I am not. If Jesus says I am, then how can anyone else tell me I am not? That is what I'm... Do you understand what I'm saying? Maybe it's just me, but I love to rise up when I am challenged, when I am facing threats. And I love to stand firm, not be blown away. I like my roots to go deep. I want the river to flow when the external circumstances are the hardest. The only way I know to do that is to put my full weight and all of my assurance on the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you do this with me? Will you declare these things? I am humbly defiant. I will not be defined by my circumstances. I will not be defined by my past. I am a child of God. And the evil one cannot hurt me. That's, John, that's 1 John 5, 18. I am a child of God and the evil one cannot hurt me. That's you taking an active stand. You're defying the God of this world because you have a river that he cannot touch. He might can take away all the externals, but he cannot touch that internal. I have a river of life flowing in me. Cause the the lame to walk and the blind to see. Right? Right now, would you let those roots go deep into that river? Some of you, I know I'm staying on this. We're going to get in trouble with 1130, but 
Would you just stay for just a second in this? Would you let your roots go deep? There are, there's confusion on your exterior. There's chaos perhaps outside, but inside you know the peace of God. You know what it is to let your roots go around the rocks, through the tough soil, down to the river. The one that actually is not in the middle of the desert, but it flows from the throne of God. John, a man in the last years of his life, he said, we've tasted it, we've touched it, we've held it. It is life. You are an, invi- you are a, an invited guest into the inner circle between the life and the love of the Father and the Son expressed through the Holy Spirit. Would you receive that today? And we have some people here. I, I, just, I, don't, I just feel so strongly today. The Lord wants this year to be characterized by joy. And in order for that to happen, you have to keep increasing the capacity to hold that joy. So if there is something you want to pray about this morning, there's some people up here who would pray with you very confidentially. Maybe there's some things where, that have been holding you in your past some lies, they'd pray that with you and you'd get a breakthrough today. The Spirit of the Lord is here. And where the Spirit is, there's freedom. Thank you, Lord, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week.